0: Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion.
1: Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions.
0: We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin' Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Hello, listeners. I'm Aaron, and with me here for this next weekly episode of FF Plus is my best friend and co-host, Patrick.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: On this week's episode of the show, you can guarantee that we are going to be talking Oscar noms, because
1: that is what's in the news, Patrick, in case you hadn't heard. I've heard something, something about some nominations and some award show coming up that may not... It probably doesn't have a host.
0: It doesn't have a host as of yet. And uh yeah, the Oscar nominations came out this week and much like they are every single year, people are enraged in our film circles and people are generally more enraged, I'd say, than than happy, typically. That's what they like to focus on, but we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about what we were surprised by and what we were happy about when it came to Oscar nominations. If you don't mind, before we jump into that, though, I wanted to give my quick thoughts on one of the films that's coming out in the theaters this week, and that is The Kid Who Would Be King from director Joe Cornish. Now, Patrick, before I start, I wanted to ask you, do you know who Joe Cornish is? Does that name ring a bell?
1: Um, Is he related to Audie Cornish of NPR fame?
0: I don't know who that is, so I honestly couldn't tell you. Maybe they are. All right. Okay. I'm going to say that's a no. So we don't know who Joe Cornish is. Have you seen the film Attack the Block? I've not at all. Are you familiar with it? Have you heard of it? Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. Well, about eight years ago, and that's a long time between directorial projects for uh, a director, Joe Cornish made this film called Attack the Block, and it starred the one and only John Boyega. It was his breakout film. He was about 14 or 15 years old, I think, at the time. And he was playing this kid who was in a London neighborhood, kind of similar to like the projects, I guess you would say. They, they call it the block. It's this incredibly huge apartment complex type building. And he and his friends are a little bit thuggish. And uh, they end up getting wrapped up in this surprise alien invasion. And it has... One of the coolest designed aliens slash monsters that I've ever seen. It's a bear, but it has like glow in the dark teeth and they don't see. They don't have eyes. So they, they're like, they're just a big woolly bear with huge fangs that glow and drip in the dark. And so it created a lot of great visual flourish. And it was really a big commentary on. Essentially the fact that in Britain at the time and in much of the world, people were more scared of the African American boys in the neighborhood than they were of these beasts. And, and so he was using this, you know, sci-fi story to make a point and it's, it was great. It's one of, it's one of my favorite sci-fi films. I love it to death. Well, this is his new one and I was a little bit underwhelmed when I first heard about this, the kid who would be king. Once again, he's using actors that I know nothing about, never really seen any of these people before. Um, So there's really not a draw to this film. But, you know, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you'll be like, oh, I'm going to go see it because such and such is in it, even though I don't care about the plot or whatever. Well, the idea here is that it's modern day Britain and this young boy named Alex finds Excalibur. He pulls it out and he's the kid who would be king he's got to go on a quest okay yada 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 here we do here we go again king arthur story this is nothing new what i can tell you though is the way that it takes that high fantasy classic and weaves it into the modern day world is a ton of fun and joe cornish is known for his humor his comedic flair is wonderful in attack the block and it really shines here as well. The, the kid, Alex, he has a sidekick, of course, you know, that's kind of a, a young like a kid who gets bullied all the time. Yeah, they're nerds. Alex wants to stand up for him, but doesn't have the power. So the film has like this big anti-bullying messages. Um, and, and essentially, he pulls this sword out and he has to go on this quest to figure out who he is. He's fatherless. Uh, we don't know why he's fatherless. His dad has disappeared, but his mom is raising him by herself. It's interesting. He makes a, a point at one point during the film about how he compares himself to all of the great legends, like in, um, Harry Potter and Anakin Skywalker, um, all of the King Arthur himself, all of these guys who were kind of fatherless as they grew up to go on their quest. So that's one of the through lines in the film. It just is a fun adventure. Um, the effects are pretty good. Uh, essentially, Morgana comes back and is the, you know, sister or half sister, I think, of King Arthur. She's a, an evil magic user. And so she's trying to take over the earth. The thing that kind of made this a little bit of a heavy watch for me as an adult is it's very message heavy, Patrick. And Joe Cornish is like Attack the Block using this for social commentary. It's very clearly in a Brexit type of world that we live in where the the film starts off like right in your face saying, you know, the leaders have scattered there's no leadership, only evil men remain. everyone is you know disjointed and no one is united and so it's set up to serve as a kind of a story where the kids are learning how to become true leaders and how to become true heroes through. Good deeds and leading with your heart, um, and not being an evil <laughs> politician. Essentially, that's like really what the message is. And it gets to the point where he's saying it over and over and over. And you're just like, all right, dude, I get it. I, 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 I got it. Like, I understand you're very unhappy right now and the world sucks, but like we figured that out already. Um, and so it kind of is heavy handed. And it's also really not memorable. There are some great action sequences and there are a lot of fun when they do the tie-ins between the real world and the fantasy realm. It switches over at night is what happens. And, uh, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's just a blast to watch. It's fun for the whole family. It's very wholesome and we really enjoyed it. It's not one that I will remember or probably need to revisit many times throughout my life, but it's, it goes down easy. And uh, like I said, it really is just kind of a lot of fun. And for a PG film to have this type of medieval adventure theme, that's pretty rare these days. I don't remember how many of these we've gotten. So I say take a chance on this one.
1: Well, at the very least, if you even even if you don't take a chance on this movie, you've gotten my interest to watch Attack the Block. So if you haven't seen that, apparently it's worth seeing too. So I'm going to probably check that out at least. It is one thousand percent worth
0: seeing. Yes, if I was going to recommend both of them, I would say you know, Attack the Block is definitely more of an adult movie. I was rewatching it uh, and this last time with my kids and for their first time, and you know, some of the, some of the language in there, I'm just like, oh, yeah, well, my kids have seen a lot worse, but others' kids probably haven't. But yeah, Kid Who Would Be King, it's it's worth checking out. It's probably going to end up being the best of the January releases, in my opinion. Very cool. There you go. All right, man. Well, it's time to move on to talking about some Oscar nominations. Okay, buddy. Well, it's that time of year again. Um, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody who's anybody. I know that you are not a big user of what has now become dubbed as film Twitter. Um, for those who are unawares, uh, Twitter has become a place that is just bursting with amazing conversation about movie. And that's for both better and worse. There's a hashtag that people use a lot called film Twitter. And it's, there's a toxicity to any social media, I think. Any, any mob type gathering where everybody knows they can get heard and, you know, saying the most clickbaity, type hot take is what is going to get you noticed and liked and retweeted. So I've seen a lot of that going around. And personally, Patrick, I've tried to steer clear this year because I've just not been in the mood to engage with all the negativity. So first thing I want to say is we are not going to use the word snub on this show. Is that okay? I would agree with that. No snubs. Okay. we don't believe in snubs. Um, We think that pretty much all films are worthy in somebody's eyes and everything nominated here. May not be our pick or our choice, our preference, but clearly a vast majority of 6,000-plus Academy voters thought so, and that says a lot. So we're going to say that many films and many performances and such are all worthy, but no one is actually quote-unquote snubbed, because that would mean that somebody that is nominated is not worthy. All right, Patrick. Patrick. What did you think of the announcement show? Because last year it was done by Tiffany Haddish and I was pretty miserable. I did not enjoy her at all.
1: This is really interesting. I've watched it for the last three years and I I kind of feel for the hosts and hostesses because they're, they're kind of a, they're in a hybrid room of not a big audience where they're getting reactions that are like, you know, Oscar size where it's like a big theater, but they're also not announcing without an audience. And so you have this weird mix of like, okay, you're going to announce something and you're going to get claps. And so last year, I remember thinking, man, these guys just sound like they don't even want to be there. Like they didn't rehearse, like they're just kind of throwing it together. This year, I really, really enjoyed the the host. I felt like they wanted to be there, like they were having a great time with each other, like they had great chemistry. And that anytime they announced something, First of all, they didn't go through a lot of like actor and actress names and director names unless they had to, which is good because that's probably the biggest, um, probably the biggest fear is that you're going to flub somebody's name. And I think that playing it safe and just announcing the movies when they could, unless it was appropriate to announce a person's name, was the right way to go. But I think they had really great chemistry and they felt like they were having fun announcing these things. Like they were really excited about all the nominations.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with you. You know, Camille Nanjiani is, is one of my favorites, you know, after the big sick and he even got in a a few fun little, you know, clapbacks for himself uh, regarding his big sick uh, film from last year and its nomination. That was a fun little moment to, to watch play out. And Tracy Ellis Ross, who I didn't know, I liked her as well, primarily because they were both so well-spoken, frankly. And, like you said, there was not um, a bunch of name flubs going on. That always bugs me when somebody's had time to prepare and yet you can't read a name right. Like you're one, you have one job, you know, like get it right, practice, do something. It was interesting to hear them talk about how they got up so early. <laughs> and I think she said she was up at like 1130 p.m. the night before, you know, he was up at 1:30 a.m. So it was pretty crazy, but I really enjoyed them doing the announcements this year and they moved really fast. I like that as well. I mean, they just were like bam 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 bam, very very little joking in between. Yeah. They just kept it moving and they got us in and got us out. I like that.
1: From the design standpoint, I really enjoyed the the bumper graphics that showed the different awards. I loved seeing the backgrounds and how they would describe cinematography or screenplay and they would show a graphic of uh, of a typewriter and things like that I kind of paid attention to to those and enjoyed a lot of the uh the visuals of the of the nomination categories coming from
0: the guy who does our episode cover art I am not surprised
1: (laughs) it's just who I am what can I say
0: all right well let's start with snut. oh no I'm kidding no let's start with surprises what are some of the things that surprised you as far as Nominees that maybe you thought you wouldn't see that you would have replaced with something else.
1: Well, I think one of the biggest ones that stood out to me was the original score category. I know you and I have talked about Justin Hurwitz and how fantastic he is when uh, he teams up with Damien Chazelle and his scores are pretty monumental. Um, I don't recall if he's won before. I think he, he has. But I was pretty much thinking First Man was going to be a part of this. Whether it got an award or not, the nomination was a shoe in And so not seeing it on the on the ballot was very surprising to me. And equally so, seeing Mary Poppins Returns, Mark Shaman's and Scott Whitman's original score, on the ballot was, uh, was, was really surprising. Because that's not what I remember about the movie. Mary Poppins Returns is a musical, and I'm thinking – I'm thinking songs and things like that, but original score, not something that I remember from the, from the, from the movie itself.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's one of the ones that stuck out the most to me too, is I actually expected that to be a lock, (laughs) you know, and and there's not a lot that I expected to be a lock this year in the awards because things are really up in the air and just all over the place. Um, And they have been since the critic awards started. But I thought that Justin Hurwitz was a guaranteed. I thought that that was the one place I knew for sure we would see some first man love. And so it was really definitely surprising um, that it wasn't in there. Um, I'm missing Ethan Hawke. Um, it, that one kind of was a little bit of a brain scratcher. I guess from the standpoint of understanding how marketing campaigns go, it's not that surprising that both he and Tony Collette, um, respectively, in their best acting categories are missing from this, even though critics really loved both of their performances. They both came from A24 movies, which A24 is typically just they don't do great with Oscar campaigns. Um, And, you know, these categories are just stacked like that supporting actor category that Ethan Hawke is missing from or not supporting actor that uh, best actor category. I mean, it's loaded with big names.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those that I look at and I go, well, I, I thought it was going to be this guy or I thought it was going to be this, this, this woman. Nope. Might be her. Might be him. Might be her. Like as the names were being read, I was like, oh, it's going to be, no, no, it could be. And the lead actor in particular, because my, I mean, I mean, I could see Remy Malik Rami Malik taking this, but then you see Bradley Cooper and then you see Christian Bale. And I know you recently watched uh, At Eternity's Gate with Willem Dafoe, and I'm pretty sure that 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 his performance in there was was pretty epic.
0: It's staggering, really. Yeah. I mean, when I saw it, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. And
1: And so I think while I know I talked about on our Green Book episode how I really enjoyed Viggo Mortensen's, I didn't expect him to make this make this cut. And so the other four I definitely think are big contenders. But um, but yeah, Vigo is probably my big surprise of that category.
0: Well, another thing I thought was pretty surprising was just you mentioned the score for Mary Poppins Returns, but the overall love for Mary Poppins Returns was very strong in the below the line categories. I mean, it is it, it shows up quite a few times and also for Vice. Vice is all over the place as well. Those are two films that I personally didn't love. I thought that they were only OK Vice in particular is incredibly divisive and has a, I mean, we're not going to Rotten Tomatoes as the end all be all of our, you know, judging, you know, standpoint here, but it's in the like 60th percentile or something in Rotten Tomatoes. Like that's a pretty low overall critic percentage to see a film nominated so highly, um, come Oscar time.
1: Yeah, especially in the director category, I I didn't expect Adam McKay to be a part of this list. In fact, I expected Bradley Cooper as a first-time director. I mean, he has wowed a lot of people, not only with his acting chops, which obviously he's in that category, but also with his directing chops. Not seeing him with guys like Spike Lee and uh, Alfonso Cuaron, it's, it's weird. And it's for those reasons you mentioned that Vice is one of those movies that didn't wow the majority of the people that that it that saw it. So to see Adam McKay up there, obviously he deserves it because he's nominated and whatever. But it was just a surprise to me to see his name in there and Bradley Cooper's not.
0: Yeah, I, and and a bummer, frankly. I, I'm a little bit bummed about that one myself. Original song. I I don't know that I am shocked that a place called Slaughter Race was not in there, but breaks really, my heart. I wanted it to be, man. I I did. I wanted it to be in there so bad. And I don't know. I mean, I I look at the ones that are nominated. We have a Kendrick Lamar song from Black Panther, which is good. I understand Kendrick Lamar is a a hot name right now. We have a song from RBG that I personally would never have nominated this, but it's written in, you know, by Jennifer Hudson. I think she's an Oscar winner herself, if I recall. So I mean, you've got some, some big name stuff in here. The Lady Gaga song, when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings is, was a surprise for me. Um, however, I really enjoyed it. It's probably the best part of that movie, Buster Scruggs, in my opinion. And it's very unique and it's kind of like a place called Slaughter Race, actually, in a way that it works within its film. So, you know, they could have gone there, but I, like they didn't. Um, it's just too bad. I just,
1: I would have liked to seen that one in there. I tell you what, the, the big category for me that I'm both excited and disappointed in is the animated feature, because every one of these movies is, has got legitimacy in terms of being the award winner. But in my heart, I want Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse to take it. I hope that's the case. I know we're not making predictions. These are just my hopes and dreams being put into this category. But when you're up against Isle of Dogs, Incredibles 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, oh, man. I mean, that's a tough category. And in the past, what I've noticed is that there's usually been one surefire um, animated feature that's probably going to take it, and it's typically been a Disney or a Pixar. And I would say that's because movies like the Lego movie and Lego Batman did not make the cut, which saddens my heart as well. But I'm excited to see what comes out of this category. I love all the nominations, but my heart's definitely going to go out to Into the Spider Verse.
0: Well, I think you have a really good shot of seeing your favorite take that home, man. I mean, it's been winning all the awards recently. I mean, it is pro- probably, you know, the second most dominant at this point to Roma as far as single and well and Regina King to winners in all of the critic awards and across the board. It's just, it's taking it home everywhere. The Golden Globes, it won. Uh, I believe it won the PGAs. Uh, like it's, it's got, a lot of love and i think that the i honestly think that disney having two strong films here and incredibles 2 and ralph breaks the internet is going to work against it because i think it splits that vote essentially whereas in other years it's either a zootopia from disney or you know whatever it is what insert that year's pixar movie here it's one of those others. It's never – they're never competing against each other like this, it doesn't seem like. But this year, they're both so strong. I think they're going to kind of cannibalize some of those votes. I think Isle of Dogs is probably its strongest competition here though. I mean this is Wes Anderson.
1: Right, and right.
0: this is the Academy. <laughs> and I – and it's darn near my pick. Like I don't know. I mean I'm torn. i I literally – like you're right, Patrick. And it's weird because I love anime so much, but Mirai for me is, is not even like in the ballpark with these others. But these, these four films for me are all like so close. I legitimately will be fine. No matter what wins, I'll be happy because I will think that a film that was worthy took it home and, I, and I'll be, I'll be good with that. Right. Um, you know, secretly I'll be, I'll be rooting for yours because I want you to be, you have a dog in the fight more than I do. So obviously we'll, we'll be hoping for Spider-Man for you. You know, one thing I noticed about the noms is sound mixing and sound editing. <laughs> when are we going to get rid of this? When are we going to stop this? Th- they are four of the five nominees are the exact same for both categories. So what is the point of having two of these categories if the nominees are just going to be the same nominees?
1: Well, I think it has to do with the fact, and I agree with you from a, from a just a hilarious standpoint. I agree. But I also know that you have specific teams that work on these different in these two distinct areas. You have you have a sound editing team and you have a sound mixing team and they happen at different points in the creative process. The problem though is that movies that are strong in one category are naturally going to be strong in the other because one is sort of dependent on the other. Every year we have to when we talk about the Oscars, someone in our group or you or me we always go to Wikipedia or dictionary.com and we get the definition of what it means to be a sound editing category and what it means to be a sound mixing category. And there's different, there are differences, but they aren't very, very distinct other than the fact that you have distinct teams working on them at different points during the films um, process. And I think that you, it's, it's always the Oscars way of giving love to more people on a team during a a movies you know i'm in a a movie's category or whatever i think i wouldn't say it's the same as like best director versus best picture although in the past that's typically been the same thing you know the best the best director and the best pictures have been won by the same movie or they've been the same in the same categories the same set of movies but i think the sound editing and sound mixing is a lot more uh of that what you're talking about where you have the same movies in both one thing that Also stood out to me
0: is the animated short category. I don't know how many of those you got around to watching when I sent you a link to all of them. Uh, there were 10 on the short list initially and I had a kind of leader in the clubhouse that I was just confident was going to be the Oscar winner and it didn't even get nominated. So I'm a little bummed about that. It's called lost and found. So it's out there on the web listeners. You should look it up. It's really fantastic. The ones that are nominated are good. Um, I would say I think only three of those were in my top five. So didn't kind of play out the way that, that I would have necessarily wanted. Um, but those are all good, good little shorts that are worth seeing. Um, I was surprised to not see director or picture for If Beale Street Could Talk. That was a, a real big shock for me. More so in the, wow, how can you possibly do this Academy rather than the, I expected you to be the do the right thing or whatever category, because the film for some reason has not gotten a lot of awards notification or notice uh, lately, but with Barry Jenkins having one best picture two years ago, I I thought for sure that this film, which many are hailing as the best of the year and better than his previous film, Moonlight gets nothing it just it just feels really weird
1: to see it missing frankly it's a it's a weird oscar nomination list i mean there's a lot that is probably for me more surprising this year than in years past of course next year i'll probably say the same thing because it always feels that way like whoa i can't believe that made it or wow i can't believe that didn't make it but i feel like this year in particular we have such a wide gamut of films that are being represented. And maybe that's because 2018 was a good year for movies. And I think that's been the topic of conversation in the Facebook group. It was just great across the board. And I don't know that there were a ton of duds. And so I think in some ways this is kind of good for the Academy to have such diversity in terms of the types of movies. And, you know, you could go back to saying, well, these movies deserved it and they didn't get it or this person deserved it and didn't get it. But the fact is we've got a lot of variants and to me, I think that's a good thing.
0: The last ones I wanted to mention, I was legitimately surprised not to see a film called burning in the best foreign language film category. It's a, it's a really great movie and I'm hoping that folks will get a chance to see that one, regardless of it not having a lot of buzz coming out of the Oscars uh, because it's it's wonderful little thriller, slow burn thriller, and no Paddington Two broke my heart quite a bit. I, I didn't expect it to be there, so it's not like I you know was waiting with bated breath for it to be announced. But I definitely hoped that something would happen and we would see some Paddington Two or maybe you know First Man in Best Picture or something like that. And of course that didn't happen. There was also a, a lack of any real female directed films in the best picture race and in the best director race that's being talked quite a bit about this year because there are some very strong female directed films out there i know that a lot of folks have in their top tens uh, myself included actually with the writer from chloe zow so i i kind of get it like at some point when are we gonna stop making excuses for that and and not use one of those slots on one of those films because if we're going to say that you know there's so many films that are worthy i think i'm starting to come around to that maybe some diversity is a good thing i will also add though that this is kind of a historic year with regards to diversity but it's in a different way three out of the five cinematography nominees are foreign films that's crazy. I, I was looking up the stat and it hasn't it's only it's happened once I believe in like 1970s, where that's been the case. I mean, that's, that's wild. Two of the directors are um foreign films, and three of them are not American. <laughs> Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, a Greek director being the other one. So yeah, I mean, it, it, with regards to foreign language, um inclusion in the Oscars, it's actually really strong this year.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping that this kind of trend will continue to move us forward so that we, at the very least, the Oscars maybe give us more exposure as a general audience to what's out there. That's kind of my big hope, is that the Oscars become an avenue for us to be able to say, oh, there's a movie that I'm be interested in seeing, as opposed to saying, oh, yeah, there's another kitschy movie that's going to win a bunch of Oscars because it's the favorite, and not literally the favorite, but it's the the one that seems so sophisticated, and it's not highbrow or it's not high concept. Um, I I'd love to see that. I'd love for the Oscars to be an opportunity for exposure to these movies uh, for a general audience.
0: All right. Well, quickly switching gears, let's wrap this up. What makes you the happiest? What nominees? are you very, very excited about seeing in their categories? Maybe you're the most hopeful for. We know Spider-Man is one of yours for sure. Um, I'll drop one of mine real quick, and it's it's free solo. Um, I, it's my number one film of the year overall, and it's obviously my number one documentary. And so I love that it, honest to goodness, I, I know this is going to sound terrible to some of you guys out there, but I'm actually glad that Won't You Be My Neighbor is not in this field because I feel a lot stronger about Free Solo's chances with that movie not there. Um, so it's kind of a surprise. That was one of the biggest surprises, honestly, is to not see that there and to see like RBG there instead. Kind of shocking to me. Uh, but yeah, I I love seeing the Free Solo in there. And I'm really, really hoping that that one takes it
1: home. I think for me, the original song category is the one that stands out to me outside of the animated feature. I really, really want to see Shallow take it home. I mean, that is probably one of the most monumental moments of the movie, that song and the performance uh, by Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And um, I was excited to see it in there. I feel like it's not a guarantee, but I feel like it's probably the strongest of a lot of those, especially with the fact that the song from Ralph Breaks the Internet didn't make the cut.
0: Yeah, no doubt, man. Absolutely. Um, This is also the first year we got a superhero movie. In the Best Picture nominations. So there's eight films up there. I know you've seen probably, what, half of them maybe?
1: Yeah, maybe I want to say five of them. I've yeah. seen them
0: all. Uh, two of these are in my top 25. Actually, no, I lied. One of these is in my top 25. Green Book is just outside my top 25. So A Star is Born is the only one of those that's in my top 25. You know, Green Book is kind of right outside it. Roma's right outside it. Black Panther's right outside it. But with regards to Black Panther, it, this is really cool. It's obviously not my favorite superhero film of the year. Uh, my favorite is Aquaman, hands down. I think everybody that listens to us knows that. Avengers Infinity War is probably what I would consider the best and is my second favorite. So Black Panther is in, in, and Spider-Man actually would be the third for me or like still above Black Panther. So for me, Black Panther is like the fourth best comic book movie of the year, but it's still really good. All that being said, I understand the cultural relevance of this. And if you're going to put one in as a token and I don't think it has a chance of winning. So I'm going to call it a token at this point. I think it's a cool nod. And I think it's, I think it's good for that movie. I think it's, if you're going to put a superhero movie in, you could have done a whole lot worse. So, um, good for them. And you know, it's broken the mold, hopefully. And now the floodgates are open and. Disney will populate the best category or best picture category from here on out.
1: Probably. I mean, with the number of Disney movies that we're seeing in 2019, I wouldn't be surprised if the 2020 Oscars are filled with Disney properties. We'll just rename it
0: the best Disney Studios picture of 2020 goes to. <laughs> yeah.
1: Brought to you by ABC. Of course. Yes. <laughs> streaming live on cast ESPN. on ESPN. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> All right, man. Well, that was fun. But before we end this conversation, let's talk about our hype for an upcoming film and do a little bit of dream talk. talk. You know, I'm never going to get tired of hearing that
1: soundbite, Patrick.
0: I really, <laughs> really enjoy it.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm I just want to.
0: I just want to play it on repeat
1: over and over. <laughs> Glad I can make you happy.
0: Okay, well, I think it was either last week or the week before, one of those two, we talked about Captain Marvel and our expectations and our excitement for that one. But there's another Captain Marvel com- com- movie coming out um, right on the heels of the Brie Larson Captain Marvel movie, but this one's called Shazam. Um,
1: Shazam!
0: <laughs> for listeners who don't know, Shaz- <laughs> Shazam is actually called Captain Marvel in the DC Universe uh, at times. So it's, it's pretty funny that, Those characters are finally both getting films made, and it's literally within a month of each other. It's pretty wild. (laughs) Well, Shazam is being directed by David F. Sandberg, which in and of itself is a little bit strange, since he's known mostly for horror movies like Annabelle and Lights Out. But this is definitely not going that direction. Um, It seems like it's going to continue the changing tone of DC films. We've gotten a lot of different types of films recently. In that universe, and this one is going to be another one like that. Um, stars Zachary Levi as the titular Shazam character. I, Patrick, only knew him as the voice of Flynn Ryder entangled because I never saw this TV show called Chuck. Did you have a
1: knowledge or, you know, understanding of who Zachary Levi was before this? A cursory knowledge. I don't, I don't know it intimately, but it's one movie, it's one TV show that I've been told you should watch this. Awesome. Well, what did you think about the Shazam
0: trailer and the Shazam teaser? So we have, we have two. We have a, I like got two and a half minute trailer that came out a few months ago, or maybe six months ago at this point. I think it debuted at Comic Con, actually. Um, and then we had just this last week, a one minute teaser drop that showed us our first look at the villain played by Mark Strong. How are you feeling going into Shazam? Is this? just like a toss toss away DC
1: movie for you, or are you actually excited for this? Um, I'm not really like over the moon about it, but I'm more excited about it after seeing the teaser. Here's the thing. I think what DC is doing lately is a very smart thing in allowing their directors to direct movies, not direct a universe, not try to create connections, but to really succeed at building individual properties. Because to me, I think that the strength of the DC universe, the comic book world, lives in the individual stories. Whereas I think Marvel does a successful job at individual storytelling, but they get all their money. They get all their push from these big crossover events, the big summer series that happen. And what we have with Wonder Woman, what we have with Aquaman, and now what we have with with Shazam are three specific potentially successful opportunities for a director to tell the story of a character in the tone in which they, they're they meant to tell it. I think that it was incredibly successful with both uh, Aquaman and Wonder Woman. And I don't know a lot about Shazam, only that he's probably the more levied, like the more lighthearted character of the DC universe. And so while I'm not As familiar with him, I think the tone that they're capturing in these in the trailers is telling me that it's accurate, and to me, that's a win for me. I I don't I don't need it to be consistent with the rest of the DC movies. I need it to be consistent with the character that's being portrayed. Um. So so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited about it. I, I laughed several times during both the trailer and the teaser, and I'm hoping that those aren't the only funny bits in the movie
0: yeah that's always the risk right is that we find out later that oh you showed us all of the good stuff already um I hope that's not the case as well you know this has a really cool story just the fact that it's a 14 year old boy who's a foster kid who's the hero and he essentially also he has a great alliterative name by the way, because all, all great superheroes have great alliterative names like Billy Batson. But anyway, he becomes this powerful force when he says this special code word and he has the wisdom of Solomon, yet he's also a 14 year old and kind of how well they merge those two concepts, I think is going to be key to whether or not this is successful. Balance is really what it's going to be all about for this movie. It can't be too goofy and 14 year old and it can't be too superhero and too serious. Um, I get the feeling that it's going to be done well, just from what I've seen so far. I'm excited about it. I'm, my excitement is growing more and more with all I read and all I see. The director actually came out recently in an interview and said he likened the film to, uh, Ghostbusters, the Goonies and back to the future. He said, it's like an eighties family friendly adventure. Think of it as big with superpowers. Yes. And yes. Like, and yes. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, you don't need to say anything else to sell me on it. I love the scenes in the trailer where his stepbrother is um fi- uh, filming him with a camcorder. It reminded me of like Chronicle where the guy's trying to learn and understand their powers. And um, he's trying to fly for the first time. And they're just like he's at the skate ramp. It's a great little bit. Um, That's a lot of fun. And then, like I said, with Mark Strong playing the villain, I'm excited to see how he does as a, a superhero, you know in the universe because I really like him as an actor. And there's a great quick shot in that teaser trailer that is really cool where uh, Mark Strong's villain punches Shazam as they are fighting in the air and he fly, he flies out you know away into a building and it is basically a shot for shot recreation of the fight scene with Superman and, and Zod in man of steel. So I think that's cool because what we know about Shazam is that it is definitely within the timeline of the DCEU. So those events have occurred in this world. And, you know, you would, you would think that Billy Batson would be aware of things like that. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see how that kind of those subtle tie-ins work in this film. So
1: yeah, I'm excited. I I think one of the big things that I'm going to be kind of cautious of is, and I know that this is the way it is in the comics, but his outfit is very cartoonish. I mean, you're, I'm, I'm looking at this right now, just looking at it still, and I'm like, is this, is he serious? Is this like, cause this feels like cosplay to me, uh, at first. However, having recently watched Justice League War, this is the outfit that he wears. And when you double that with the kind of sense of humor that the character brings, I think that it's going to be fine. It will take some getting used to, it's taking some getting used to now. But at first I'm looking at this guy thinking, Did you put pillows in your outfit? What's happening here? Because those muscles don't look real But again, that's Shazam is a caricature. He's drawn that way. He's not Henry Cavill. He's not um he's he's not your, you know, Christian Bale. He he doesn't need to look like those types of characters in terms of his physicality because he's being transformed from a fourteen year old boy, it makes sense for him to look like he does
0: yeah completely agree with you man it's it's a goofy look but it is absolutely comics and accurate with the comic book films we've seen so far in the animated world he looks the same way in uh young justice as well the animated tv show i'm watching so i'm okay with the suit i think it looks really pretty darn freaking cool if you ask me i can't wait to see him flying around and i don't even know what all of his
1: superpowers are yet he doesn't guy.
0: either, actually. <laughs> He's well, good. We'll go in, we're going into
1: this together then. There we go. All right, guys. Thank you guys for checking us out. Uh, keep in mind, next week, we have our week four director month. We're finishing out with Avatar. So be sure to check that out in the next few days. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show,
0: we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening.